This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. Red Sox just wrapped up a Four-game set with the Anaheim Angels winning the series three games to one. They are still currently in fourth place, 11 and a half games back behind the unstoppable New York Yankees. Red Sox still are in possession, though, of the third wild card slot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I wish I could feel a little bit better about you know, after this series, but, uh, I don't know, felt a little bit hollow to me, like a lot of, a lot of close games, a lot of games that felt like could have slipped away from them. So I know that like the Red Sox are kind of inching their way back, but it feels like it could be better. So I'm eh right now is what I would say. I'm just meh. Yeah. Everything's okay. I affect, Officially, even though the pitching matchups got jumbled from what we uh, thought they would be based on the seemingly unreliable ESPN site, I had us splitting the series, so I was pleasantly surprised we came out of it three to one. So, um, but we've got a lot to get into uh, this episode. Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? Since I also uh, suck at remembering this part. Yeah, um, you can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. Color of the Iris. Also joining us tonight from the Mile High City of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? Doing well. Feeling a little bit more confident with this team than I think you guys might be. I don't know. I they they got that wild card spot and uh, kind of full steam ahead. I, I don't really have too much worries about Cleveland and I think Chicago both chasing them. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. 
Don't write out off my guardians, man. I know I didn't finally pick them this year, but much like Jason's always on the judge train, I'm always on the guardian train. Uh, I don't know if, if Terry Francona is managing a, a baseball team. Uh, typically, they they perform for him, so we'll uh, we'll see about that. Uh, well, as Jason said we were kind of fortunate to come out of it three to one. You had two games that were one to nothing. We win those games. Uh, We weren't winning those games earlier in the year, even if they were a little bit more high scoring, we weren't winning the two to one games, the three to two games. So, um, you know, luck is still a component here. And, and I, I think we had a little bit of it this series and, uh, just uh, one of my takeaways. Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those things where you go into a series with a team that just fired its manager. And, um, you know, that that does tend to, you know, spark a team. You know, when they fire the manager, they tend to go on a little bit of a, a winning streak. At least that's usually what happens. Um, didn't quite happen with the Angels this time, but Still, yet you know, Trout gets hurt in the middle of the series. He misses, you know, the last two games. Rendon's still out. David Fletcher's still out. They're not exactly fully loaded right now. And, you know, they've lost so many in a row. It's like, I I should be happy, but in a way, it's like, it feels like they just escaped with the wins that they did. It's not, it doesn't feel like they went in there and hammered a team that's really on the ropes and struggling. They just kind of, did what they had to do and escaped with a couple of wins. So maybe that's being nitpicky, but I would have liked to see them really step on their throats because if this team is, you know, has aspirations of going to the playoffs, that's the kind of team you need to be even in June, even when it's early, but I would have liked to see that. I don't know. I, I, I saw these pitchers go in and shut down. I mean, a complete game from Michael Walker as dominant as he was, I don't think anyone expected that this season. I don't think anyone expected eight innings or seven full innings out of Waka. I think they're starting to really hit their stride as a staff. They look a little more cohesive. Uh, it, you know, it had been the offense picking them up and it was good to see, you know, the pitchers carry their weight uh, this time and really pick up the slack for uh, offense, you know, an offensive attack that really wasn't there. I, I, I was encouraged. Yeah, I'm not discouraged at all about the pitching, and we're going to get into a lot of that here uh, momentarily. But pitching's been, at least the starters have been fine all year. I think Rich Hill is the only one with an ERA in the fours or higher. Everybody else is, is pitching well. It's just the offense has been flat at times, and... I mean, we can get into that right now if you want. Kike going to be out for a little while. He's going to see a hip specialist, so that seems to um, point to the possibility that it, this could be a several-week stint. Um, and then I just saw just now the Red Sox have um, selected the contract of Rob Snyder. I mean... That's sexy. Uh, and we, we just got a lot of retread guys in this, in this lineup. Now, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Arroyo. We're going to, I'm not 
totally down. I mean, Cordero's been been struggling. Um, Dahlbeck and Bradley, they are who they are. They're going to have their spots where they're great and and painful. So I just I think Bloom needs to needs to make a move here. <laughs> I, I don't think we can I don't think we can wait and. This Angels bullpen has been just getting tattooed lately, and we couldn't do anything with it. So um, I, I think that just kind of that just kind of sh- shows you that. What move would you want to see be made? Because no one's out of it at this point, you know. Like I Kansas just City is, but it takes two to tango. I, I, the reason they're bringing Ref Snyder up is I allegedly there's a lot give me a lot of lefties in the mariner series seen on twitter right now but i think duran i guess i'd assume would be up early next week yeah he's another one i'm just not um i i just don't think he's gonna be the spark that we're all hoping you know he's had a good um good start to the season in triple a and on paper, I mean, his cup of coffee with the Red Sox doesn't look too bad. He did get some hits in there and uh, helped us with uh, some base running. But I, I don't know. I just I think Bloom needs to get creative. He needs to find somebody serviceable, uh, you know, at, at least in the outfield. And I don't know what that would be either. Yeah, it's it's tough right now. Like when you look around the league, there's. Like Andrew said, there's very few teams that are like already slipping out of it. A lot of teams are still kind of in it. There's a lot of parity around the league. And even the guys that are on those teams that are slipping out of it, you know, CJ Crone with the with the Rockies, I would love to have, but the Rockies won't move him because they're stupid and stubborn. So you can't get him. Christian Walker with the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are out of it, but Christian Walker's taking a step back. So, cause I'm looking at first base options personally. Like I think that's one of the weakest spots in the lineup and there's just not much you can do. So it, the Red Sox are kind of stuck right now. It's almost like they need to wait for more teams to fall out of it officially. So if a move's going to be made, you may have to wait till July, which gets tough because then you're competing with the Yankees and any other team that's in a playoff race, they're going to be after the same kind of guys that you are. So you may have to wait a month, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Bloom to navigate those waters. I think if we were playing anyone in our division this series, we might have lost it three to one. I'm just worried. I see we're we're finally two games above 500. I don't want a, a painful week and a half to happen, and now we're four games under again. That that's what I'm worried about, and I'm just I think there's a little bit of writing on the wall that 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 could happen um i thought i had another point in there but uh so we'll, we'll get into it i i mean the audience is probably like what the what's the matter with you guys we just want three to one i just eh, i don't know but uh let's just go ahead and and get into studs and duds obviously starting on the stud side of it uh andrew who do you have? Who's your stud for the series? Um, for me, this was easy. I had the guy that I picked as a closer 
going into the year and he now seems to have emerged as the actual closer and that's Matt Strom he looked as good as anyone could possibly look two two games in a row he pitched I don't know if a single Red Sox has picked up a save on consecutive days yet this season um and he did he looked great doing it um the angels had no chance against him they even faked getting hit by pitches uh which was the biggest bs move by marsh uh didn't even know what hand to grab Uh, strom i think is the guy for this role i think he can completely solidify it and i hope to god the next time that they have you know a one to three run lead not matt strom's uh trotting out of that bullpen because I I really have felt this way the entire season. Matt Strom can be your closer. Yeah, I agree. Um, of all the relievers in that Red Sox bullpen, Strom is the one I trust the most right now. He's He's been awesome. Um, he's had like maybe one or two hiccups at the most this whole season, and I don't think they've even been that bad. Um, he should be your closer. There's no – debate around this and the Red Sox are just one of those weird teams that core is one of those weird guys he doesn't want to name a closer because for whatever stupid reason um but Matt Strom for all intents and purposes is your closer and should be your closer he's he's been dynamite he looked great this series he was making angels hitters just looking foolish you know changing speeds on them Andrew mentioned it that the at bat that Brandon Marsh had where he tried to get away with faking like he got hit by the pitch. I mean, it's just he he is your best guy coming out of that bullpen. I, I You know, there's no one else in there that you should trust more than him. So, And he's a lefty. And, you know, look, we've talked about it before. Lefties have extra value, and there's a reason for that. There, there's a lot of left-handed power hitters in the American League, um, and not just in the American League, National League too, but you got to worry about the American League. A lot of left-handed power hitters, and Strom has an advantage against those guys. So I see no reason why he can't be your closer and why you shouldn't just name him that. He was awesome this series and just got to keep riding that wave. He's, without a doubt, been one of Bloom's best signings from the offseason for sure. I would have no issues whatsoever if Strom was the closer. I do think Austin Davis is pretty trustworthy, though. <laughs> 157 ERA. I would not put him as the closer. I kind of like him uh, in the role that he's in, but um, continues to be impressive. But Strom, though, uh, did not look good uh, before this series in a couple outings. Baltimore uh, tuned him up for three earned runs. He only lasted a third of an inning. Only lasted a third of an inning against Oakland. Only gave up one earned run. So it was nice to see him kind of get back, you know, into his groove and, and start pitching effectively. And I just assume that what we saw those uh, couple of bad outings was simply a blip. I mean, the the dude had been phenomenal. I, I know I mentioned it in another uh, show, but before that Baltimore series, he had uh, been scoreless in 15 out of 17 outings. Just had a really impressive run going into that. And um, can punch guys out. And, uh, you know, just extremely impressive. So um, hopefully we will see him 
uh, in in that closing role. I will say this: Robles came back, looked okay. So, if Alex Cora is going to play favorites, uh, just to spite us, uh, that that could happen. But um, hopefully, Strom keeps it. Jason, go ahead, stud for the series. Michael Walker, um, un- unbelievable, complete game. You know, touch touch ninety six at times with his velocity. Um, if you had asked me who on this Red Sox pitching staff would throw complete games before the season started, Michael Walker would not have been on my list. I I thought for sure he was just stretch guy, you know, bullpen guy maybe. Like at the best, he'll give you six innings, maybe seven if you really stretch him. Um, I didn't think he had the velocity in him that he showed that other night, like touching 95, 96 with his fastball and a fastball with movement. I mean, he was, he was making trout look silly at times, which is hard to do. So look, it, it's a move that we all kind of, you know, uh, raised our eyebrows at when, when Bloom brought him in because he didn't exactly have an impressive year in 2021. Um, and Bloom went out there and not only signed him, but gave him a little bit of a pay raise from what he made last year. And we all kind of went, oh, that's weird. Okay. I don't know if that's going to work. But Michael Walker has an ERA under two, just barely under two. Is that like 1.99, I think. But still, ERA under two. He's been your most stable, one of your most stable starters throughout the entire season. Um, had one brief stint on the IL, but that's it has come back, has looked just as strong. Um, he's looking like an absolute steal from this offseason. And I'm not expecting complete games from him. I'm not expecting, you know, eight-plus innings from him every start. I, I assume that, you know, he'll regress to the mean and he'll be a six, seven-inning guy. But you know what? If he's a six, seven-inning guy who keeps runs off the board and, you know, has an ERA under three for the rest of the season – what a steal that is. I mean, unbelievable. He, he's, I was a guy, he was a guy I thought like maybe wouldn't even hang on to his rotation spot when Sale and Paxton came back. Now I'm sitting here going, you've got to find a way to keep him in because he's just been too reliable. He's been too good. So Michael Walker has completely changed my mind on him. Um, he's, he's been awesome. And, you know, it's, it's one of Bloom's, better signing so credit to him for for taking the chance on him taking a flyer on him because it's totally worked out yeah how many pitchers in the league do you trust to get otani out four times uh there may maybe like two or three even in then you know you're really asking a lot and maybe the most impressive thing about this nine inning effort out of him was he threw 105 pitches so you're at less than 12 pitches per inning which the efficiency is like Maddox-esque right there. Um, he really did a great job just allowing himself, setting himself up to go that full nine. And I was a little nervous, let him go out for the ninth. And I know people would probably be pissed off if Cord didn't let him go for the ninth, but I wouldn't have blamed him if, you know, he didn't, but Credit to Waka. He battled through, got some really good competition out there. And no one, I guarantee that no one probably throws, gets Otani out. No single pitcher will get Otani out four times in a game again. 
I've been owning it uh, for at least a couple weeks now. I mean, that he was my least favorite, as I've said, least favorite signing when it happened uh, last winter, and he's been phenomenal. People on social media are starting to dig up those tweets. I got roasted pretty bad uh, in the 24 hours after that start. People were, because I tweeted out it was a trash signing. I think it was a gif of someone saying trash and uh, just getting completely roasted on Twitter. And I, I owned it as best as I could. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm never not going to admit I'm wrong. And um, so it, it was impressive. And that complete game really did come out of nowhere, though. In his eight previous outings this season, he had only gone six full innings once. And that was April 27th against the Blue Jays. So it's not like he was gradually starting to go deeper into games, seven innings, eight innings. He just pulled it together on kind of a magical night. Uh, he also struck out the most batters he had previously with six punch outs. He's never really been a high punch out guy anyway. Um, twice this year, uh, both times in the month of April, he, he got five strikeouts once against the twins and the other time against the Blue Jays. Um, the walks have uh, continued uh, to drop, though, which kind of speaks to the fact he's uh, commanding a little bit better. He had one walk in this outing. His two previous outings against the Reds and the White Sox, he actually didn't give up a walk in either of those starts. He's also only given up four home runs on the year, so just a guy that's been highly effective. Do, do you guys think Bloom sitting up in his booth there, whatever the, probably the owner's box rather, and just kicking himself for not including an option <laughs> in with that signing? He, he might be now because yeah, if Walker keeps going like this, then, uh, you know, Walker's still, he, he, it feels like he's been around forever, but he's not that old. So yeah, he, he's well due for a good second contract after this. And, um, just one thing you pointed out with, with the walks going down and, and the home runs being down too, it feels like walk is trusting his fastball a lot more as the season goes on. feels like when he first started pitching, it was all like change-ups, change-ups, change-ups. That was like his signature. Now it feels like he is trusting his fastball more. Maybe he's feeling stronger with it. It's making a huge difference. But um, yeah, like you said, I'm sure Bloom's sitting there going, ah, geez. Yeah, I, this might be a one and done if uh, if this keeps going like this. I mean, just think about it. If this team was out of it at the deadline and Walker was pitching like this, I wonder what they could have got for him or what they could get for him. <laughs> Shit. I mean, if who knows, Paxton and Sale look great. Maybe he just turns around, flips him for a top hundred guy, and I don't know. Job well done. It's just been unbelievable really and i don't know i mean it looks like it's going to be sustainable and and he's going to have a good year but i i certainly uh didn't expect this out of him so all right i'm going outside the box as i teased my stud for the series is carlos Feeblace, Red Sox third base coach. And both of the one to nothing wins we had, 
he made a very aggressive move to send Alex Verdugo home on both of those um, on both of those uh, wins from third base. The the first one was uh, I forget who had the base hit, but it went out to center. The center fielder. It looked like Verdugo was kind of checking up at third, but the the center fielder had a very lazy throw into the cutoff man. And, that was Trout. Oh, that was Trout. My bad. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, that was game one. He got he got hurt. Did he go on the DL or the injured list? Is that beneficial? No. So day to day, but he. Um, I don't think he played uh, after uh, a couple innings in the game two. He came out after uh, a base hit. But but anyway, so Trout threw that lazy ball in, and Feeble sends him home. Uh, the other time, uh, game three, uh, Dahlbeck was able to shoot uh, an opposite field base hit down the right field line, and Verdugo was at first, was rounding the bases, you know, had had his had his wheels going, and uh, Feeble sent him home again, and uh, just a couple aggressive moves win you two of those games. Who knows what the outcome is if if both those runs don't score? So I was really uh, impressed. Um, Verdugo himself uh, did have a good series. Was uh, five for sixteen. Just had a good last 30 days because a lot of us were starting to really get on him and Andrew pointed out the advanced metrics uh, kind of suggested he was just unlucky a lot of the time but um, that seems to have uh, changed and uh, getting a lot of production out of him in the uh, in the five six hole uh, let's see, going down the line, uh, J.D. Martinez, 5 for 15. Vasquez was 4 for 16. And the impressive thing about Vasquez this series, game three, one of the one to nothing games, he was the first baseman. And, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty adequate. Let me mention this because I, I, I didn't know where I was going to put this in there. Look at Connor Wong's game logs since May 18th till now. He is tearing it up. Not a ton of extra base hits, although he has had four in his last six games, uh, four doubles. But he's hitting 353 since May 18th. And I, I'm addressing my concerns about the lineup, and we got Vasquez playing first. I don't think you really want to make that a full-time thing, but maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with Wong, and he catches some games for you. I I don't think I don't think we really need Ploiecki at this point. I mean. <laughs> Base runners are going to take liberties all day long on him and take second base. He's got a bad arm. He's not hitting like he had the previous two years. He was pretty solid. He was able to slap some opposite field singles, and that's not really happening this year. So I just, I'm wondering if in the next maybe couple of weeks, Connor Wong gets some looks. If you're not going to trade for someone, you're going to have to get creative. Yeah, I, I'm all in favor of Connor Wong taking. Kevin Pulecki spot because Pulecki has really regressed um, 
you know, in, in this second year with the team. And, you know, he was always a bench guy to begin with, but this is like, he's really, it feels like he's really gone backwards. And look at, at this point, Connor Wong is not, it's not like he's 19 years old. You know, he's, he's been a minor league player for quite a while now. So you have to figure out what exactly you have in him. And seems like when he was up here for that brief stint, he did well with the pitching staff as well. Um, you know, and that's, that's a brief sample size, but if he can call a good game and he can hit a little bit, having him platoon with Vasquez behind the plate, I think would help this team a lot because like you said, it Plowecki, I, I just, I don't see a use for him. He's a complete zero defensively in terms of throwing runners out. He's very vulnerable there. Offensively, he hasn't really given you a ton. So why not? I mean, again, especially if you're Bloom, like this is one of the guys that you brought in. So this is one of the main prizes from the Mookie trade. So you might as well get as much out of him as you can. And if he's raking down in the minor leagues, bring him up, you know, get rid of Pulowiecki, do what you can with him, bring Connor Wong up and platoon him with Vasquez, see what you can get because Vasquez isn't getting any younger. And if Connor Wong looks like he could be your catcher of the future, that would be a really good positive for the second half of this season. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him once every like four or five days, but I don't think you're going to, have him extended more than that just Vasquez handles the pitching staff pretty damn well um you don't really want Vasquez at first every throw really does kind of have to be perfect he's five nine so any of those throws coming from Devers are an extreme liability like there was one the other night where he Vasquez pretty much had to jump and barely got well tried to get back down in the bag and he couldn't you know a guy like Dahlbeck just catches that like chest high. So um, yeah. And to give uh, Christian a spell behind the plate, I'm absolutely down. I've been saying Plowecki provides nothing all year. Uh, I I have no problem getting rid of him and his golf is a uh, laundry cart. I, I <laughs> that, that's literally all he's provided. I, he, he can hit the bricks. He's just a backup catcher. And those guys are a dime a dozen. Yeah, he came up with the laundry cart home run celebration thing. So, so uh, you know, he's uh, made his mark in a, in a short time with the Red Sox as far as being a good uh, clubhouse guy. But, I, I mean, if we need to figure out what Connor Wong is, I, I'm starting to wonder if perhaps maybe they do give Vasquez a, a shorter-term deal, maybe a three year deal after this. this this is the first year he's handled the pitching staff as well as he has because their their eras if you look at the advanced stats are usually in the force with vasquez catching so this year has been the exception and the the rotations pitching pretty well you know with him bullpen not so much but i, I don't know that that's necessarily a vasquez thing um, so it, it's kind of, it could be pretty interesting to see what they do. And I, I think Vasquez would take a, a slight discount to stay here. I, I think, I think he's horrified. I think it was not last season, but the season before the deadline, I think was September 1st. Cause that was 2020 and it was weird, but 
he heard his name in trade rumors and he literally sent someone up to the front office to see if they were on the verge of trading him. So he he's another guy I, I think that wants no part of playing anywhere else. And I think a month ago we thought it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, he's gone after this year. So could could be interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, you could do a lot worse than Vasquez. I mean, yeah, people have always wanted to get rid of him, but name me the last good catcher that came available in free agency. You know, <laughs> none. Well, they, Contreras. They don't you don't think? I don't. I don't know. They might, you know, he'll probably get moved at the deadline for an absolute haul. I mean, New York, both New York teams will be probably fighting over him. And then I could absolutely see them extending him. But yeah, they, it just doesn't happen. And I have such. No, sorry. I I, I was just going to say, like, I wonder too if with Vasquez, like, like Terry mentioned, he would stay a little bit cheaper. Because Contreras, I think actually he's going to get booked, and it's going to cost a lot to get him, and cost a lot to re-sign him too. I wonder if Vasquez would stay for cheaper. Because I, I heard something tonight that like he's close to catching Veritek for like most games as a Red Sox catcher or something like that. Like he's up on that leaderboard, and I wonder if he's just at the point where he's like he's comfortable here, he knows it here, and he just kind of wants that record a little bit. So. Maybe he would stay. Maybe, maybe, you know, he wouldn't cost much. And like Andrew said, you can do a lot worse than him. I mean, we've been frustrated with him at times, but he's hitting close to 300 and seems to be handling the pitching staff just fine. So you can't really go wrong with that from the catcher position. Yeah, he's got his average up to 279 after trending about 220 for a while with no real pop. And he does only have two home runs, but... He's been clutched in the last few weeks by just, you know, hitting a single and moving the base runners. So um, we'll see. But I do think it, you know, it's kind of now or never with Wong. They need to figure out what to do with him. And his minor league numbers have been pretty decent. Like most teams would probably have him on their roster by now. So. I'd like to to see what what they can do with him and uh, others have thought he could be a good utility guy and I mean it seems like that's all we have right now is utility guys uh, out there. Royo plays a lot of positions. Um, Cordero is you know first base right field, but still I mean that's still somewhat versatile and um, so we'll we'll see. It's just a, just an idea to maybe create some spark. Uh, let's see more honorable mentions. Uh, I think I covered just about everyone in the, um, in the lineup, uh, just kind of going down through the, um, the pitching here. Uh, Nathan Avaldi, uh, only five innings pitched velocity dropped, but he was still very effective. Uh, didn't give up an earned run struck out five apparently has a hit problem, uh, like Kike, um, so that kind of bears watching. Doesn't sound like he's going to miss a start. Uh, I did hear, uh, Garrett Whitlock might have a, a hit problem as well, which is kind of scary. He's, uh, only 25, 26 years old, but, uh, we'll get to him shortly. But, 
Um, John Schreiber continues to look pretty good. Tyler Danish, pretty good. Um, Austin Davis, I already mentioned, uh, has his ERA down to 1.57. Anything you guys want to touch on as far as honorable mentions? No, I, I just hope the Red Sox pitching staff isn't turning into the geriatric, uh, you know, <laughs> community here. You know, AARP cards being handed out because hip problems are never good for any athlete. But uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's anything serious. I mean, if if, if Baldi, if they're already saying he's not even going to miss a start, tell tells me that he just had an off day and he'll bounce back. Um, but obviously, they'll have to keep an eye on him his next start. Whitlock, I really feel like is laboring. I, I hope they're not pushing him too much, but I mean, again, I've been against him being in the starting rotation ever since they put him in there. So if they push him too much and they screw him up, it's on them at this point, but I really hope that it doesn't come to that. Yeah. The Whitlock thing goes back a while now. I mean, it was when he made that slide into first base. Uh, that's when he agitated it. So when was that roughly? I mean, early may i think oh really so yeah yeah he's been you you can see him limping during games so yeah that i mean hopefully that's just the thing that heals with time maybe skip a starter starter to bring up you know winkowski or whoever for a quick spot start but yeah i I don't think i mean the whitlock at least it's not his arm yeah he did strike out five which is kind of a lot compared to his last three or four starts anyway so um Gave up four earned runs. I, I was going to mention all that in the uh, in the dishonorable mentions, as savage as that might sound for Whitlock, but um, but yeah. So hopefully uh, these guys get treatment, get healthy. But with Evaldi, that's why you didn't. That's why you don't give him a, an extension uh, before that contract's up. All right, uh, let's go ahead get over to the uh, duds side of things uh andrew you're done for the series i had xander um the offense as a whole wasn't very energetic (laughs) i guess is a play way of saying it um but xander had a lot of opportunities to do stuff and he did nothing he went three for 12 which again is was honestly not as bad as a lot of other guys but he left 11 guys on base which was really brutal and they were seemingly non-competitive at bats there were a lot of like you know pop-ups and you could see him frustrated it looked like he really hurt himself uh i think that was game one with the shoulder um luckily it doesn't seem too bad and he got a spell tonight so hopefully uh he got a little bit of r&r and We'll be back in the lineup tomorrow, but yeah, there were some chances for him to open the games up a little bit more, and he didn't. And luckily, it didn't bite them in the ass, but it, it easily could have. Yeah, I, I would describe it as sort of a sleepy series for Xander Bogarts. Um, he was in there, but didn't really provide any impact. Um, hopefully, that shoulder is okay. I, with a guy like Xander, you always have to worry because it seems like he gets rest days when he's 100% healthy and then plays when he's hurt. It's, it's really weird. Um, I don't know what that's about, but yeah, the, the shoulder thing is concerning. Anytime you see a hitter swing and immediately grab for that area, it's to me, it's never a good sign. Um, you know, again, ho- hopefully the day off today helped him and, and he's back in there this weekend and 
gets back on track. But yeah, just like Andrew said, not good at bats, non-competitive. Um, just seemed like he was really laboring and just wasn't really fully engaged this series. And and I don't know why. Usually he is, but he just felt like he was kind of out of it this whole series. So hopefully he bounces back this weekend because obviously the, we know how much the Red Sox need him. It's his left shoulder, so it's not his throwing shoulder that's bothering him. And there was a play, I think, in the Oakland series where he kind of he dove for a ball and I think kind of jammed it a little. Uh, so I'm wondering if that's where where it comes from. But you did see it at the plate, uh, like you guys said. So fortunately for us, he's in his walk here and he needs to figure it out because <laughs> – you know, he wants his value to be as high as it can be going into the winter um, once he exercises his opt-out. But we'll see. I, I am a little annoyed that that Cora gave Story the night off, too. I he, Recently, he sat, I think it might have been like Bogarts and JD. I'm like, why take two guys out of your lineup when you know you're going to you're going to need some help? You know, why couldn't Story have tomorrow off instead? I just. I, I think a lot of it had to do with that last game against Otani, which was almost his rock bottom. He looked so bad. I think he struck out four times that game. That was. I don't the, know. I, okay. I was totally. I was okay with Story getting rested today. I. I. Shit, I would have probably rested everyone else if they had, if they had the uh, utility guys to fill in. Well, you have Jonathan Arauz up, and he's uh, kind of got a Travis Shaw situation going. In six games, he's got zero hits. So, um, you know, that's just the penalty uh, we're we're paying right now for not having, you know, better quality depth. But, yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully they'll both be in the lineup tomorrow against uh, the Mariners or tonight for the listening audience. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, go ahead and, uh, nope. Go ahead, Jason. You're dud for the series. Yeah. My dud is Christian Arroyo two for 14 in the series. Um, played in every game, had an opportunity with guys being in and out of the lineup. Um, this is a guy that, you know, we talked about before the season, maybe before the Trevor story signing, maybe seizing that second base job and, now he's a platoon guy, and he's not even really that good of a platoon guy. Um, Christian Arroyo's only saving grace is that Jonathan Aruz forgot how to hit. And so he's right now, he's your most valuable platoon guy, which is not a good statement on your roster. So um, he, he just was useless this series, had the bases loaded in, in one of the games and ground into what should have been a double play, but luckily he beat it out. Um, he's just... I don't know. He, I, I don't know if it's the lack of playing time. I, I don't want to credit him too much by saying that because if he played every day, he might get exposed, you know, just as he's getting exposed now and would still be hitting the same. But he's just kind of a non-factor anytime he's in there. You know, anytime he has a chance to come up with a big hit or whatever, he just doesn't do it. Um, so I, I just – I feel like the Christian Arroyo experiment has – run its course and has worn itself out. And like I said, the only, the only saving grace for him is that he's your best utility guy. So he's here to stay whether you like it or not, because our ooze 
isn't the answer. Ref Snyder won't be the answer. Christian Arroyo is the guy. He has to be on your bench because you need someone in there for when Alex Cora gives Sandra Bogarts a thousand days off and Trevor Story a thousand days off. So you're stuck with him, but it's not a good option. And um, I don't know. I, I kind of wish that the Red Sox had explored other options for a utility guy, but this is who we got. And I don't think he's very good. Yeah, I think um, they're buying time right now for Ryan Fitzgerald to get a little more comfortable playing, you know, all over the diamond, which he kind of has been down in Worcester. So I think once that happens, we're going to see a little uh, 40-man shuffle there because obviously Ryan's not on the 40. Um, But he's a guy that I think if he came up today, he could do everything at the plate that Arroyo can, which, I mean, that's – not a compliment. Uh, <laughs> so it, it might actually be underselling Ryan Fitzgerald. You know, he looked pretty solid in spring training. He says he comes up and he just tries that home run every at bat. I don't know how well that's going to tra- translate when you're facing, you know, 98 dotted on the corner. But um, yeah, I tweeted probably a month ago that I thought Arroyo had three weeks left. And unfortunately I was wrong about that one. Um, seems like a nice enough guy just is not getting it done. And I do think that you are right. The sporadic playing time has kind of been a disservice to him, especially when he's been trying to, you know, play a position he never had before, but we know what happens when he plays, you know, 85% of the time at a, you know, the spot he is um, used to playing. He, he'll be pretty darn good, but then something's going to happen. You mentioned Ryan Fitzgerald was kind of the darling of spring training. I wasn't familiar with him at all before this spring, but having a pretty good um, stint in Worcester, you know, he's kind of carried that into uh, into the minor league season. 11 home runs, 44 runs batted in. He's hitting 273. 347 OBP and an OPS of of 172 so uh, it's 172 872 excuse me it's at 152 a.m. just for the record as we're recording this but uh that his OPS is about 150 points above what would be the league average so pretty good there um that could be one of those creative moves I'm kind of asking for he's 27 years old so it's kind of a now or never um situation for him but uh i would welcome it does he play first base at all he's been all over they're just kind of moving him you know everywhere right now yeah i mean right field well actually with kike out who knows mate well bradley will probably go to center at this point i would guess but um yeah so first base and right field continue to be the you know the areas of need but yeah, so um yeah, so all right. My dud for the series is gonna be Franchi Cordero, who uh went 0 for ten. He was the only player in the lineup outside of Arauz that uh didn't have a hit. Arauz only played one game though. Franchi played all four. Struck out three times. Franchi's actually three for his last 32. Uh, and his his OPS has gone from 
825 down to 685. So, ouch, drop. That was in a tweet by Pete Abraham, who I can't stand, by the way. Have to assign credit where it's due. I'm not going to call him G-Bob. But um, anyway, so Franchi just is kind of, I hate to say it, but reverting to what we saw in 2021. So hopefully he can... He can figure it out, turn the tide. Uh, maybe maybe the Mariners series is a good uh, place to, to do that. I think with Kike out, though, you're going to see Franchi still continuing to get quite a bit of playing time. So if if this team is going to overachieve as, as thin as it is right now, he has to be a part of it. Yeah, and, and the Mariners series, I mean, we'll get into it, but um, if, you know, if the pitching matchups are what we think they are, he's going to face two pretty tough lefties in there, which is going to be tough for him. But like you said, with Kike out, what else are the Red Sox going to do? They're probably going to have to play him, and he's in the midst of a three for 32 skid. And um, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to go as far as saying like he looks like the old Franchi because he's still not striking out as much as he used to, but. Um, he is struggling and yeah, if he, if he goes up against who we think he's going up against this, this weekend might be a tough one for him. So hopefully he can dig himself out, but yeah, the Red Sox need him to step up because with guys in and out of the lineup, he's going to be very important. He had some decent at bats, uh, today. He forced, you know, I think the first walk, the Red Sox had gotten off Otani this season um, really kind of spit out a couple good ones. And unfortunately he had a, his bat explode at one point in the game. Um, actually almost took Otani out. And then he did show some pretty decent hustle getting into third on a ball that didn't get too far away from the catcher. I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about him. I still like his approach right now, but yeah, he, I think uh, a couple, you know, blue pits here and there will um, do a lot for his confidence because he's still making contact for the most part, luckily. Well, I, I'd like to see it. I, I like him. I, I like his personality. And I'm kind of hoping, I don't know what Franchi's ceiling is. Uh, you know, he's still, that's still kind of a mystery, but if he ends up being a poor man's Edwin Encarnacion, I would love that. I mean, you know, he hits from the same side of the plate, you know, for similar power. And, um, yeah, or you could just say, you know, if he could have like a Mitch Moreland effect, he won't be a gold glover like Moreland, but um, Moreland was always dangerous against righties anyway. So um, we'll see. Um, any, uh, let's see, dishonorables. Can't really roast anyone in the lineup that bad. I mean, Pulecki was one for six. We've already kind of covered him. Already talked about Whitlock. Diekman had uh, one good outing, one not so good outing, where he gave up uh, a, a hit, an earned run, and walked two. That was in game two of the series. So he continues to be the, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Really quick on Diekman something that's kind of emerged is he is starting to look really comfortable against lefties mainly. So I think we might see um, Cora pick and choose a little bit more because he got out Otani and kind of made him, you know, 
did pretty well against him in that uh in that at bat. So maybe he starts getting a little more selective because coming into the year, his splits were pretty um I think they're down the middle lefty versus uh, you know versus righty but yeah he's he seems to be more comfortable especially with that uh slider he throws against lefties I was gonna mention exactly that maybe he just becomes more situational at this point you know the classic lefty specialist and and maybe if he does that for a while he just kind of gets into a groove and then and then he will be effective against righties if called upon but um Jason you got some thoughts on Deekman yeah I, I think that's where his path is headed I feel like that's what he was in Oakland when he was really in his heyday there he was a lefty specialist I, I don't think that he faced too many right-handed hitters over there so that's kind of where he made his bones and he does look a lot more comfortable when he's up against a lefty that big sweeping slider is really tough for left-handers to pick up on so I'm okay if he just becomes a lefty specialist. I think that that's still applicable in today's game. And like we said, if if you do sort of have Strom nailed down as your ninth inning guy, Deakman in the eighth against a lefty heavy sort of three-man spot would be pretty good, I think. So you're starting to see how the bullpen can kind of form itself into something stable if, if you do that. So I think it's the right move. Nick Pavetta, um, five innings today, uh, did strike out 11, was charged for four earned runs. I don't know how he was charged for those because... Sawamara let up the three-run bomb. Yeah, that was, that was that the saw, man. Yeah. He, he did, but I thought one of those inherited runners was forced out at third um, on a, you know, a force play, so that would have... I think only left him on the hook for one more base runner. Only one run was given up before that. So, or, or did I just botch that? Uh, no, I think that, yeah. Cause the, the runner was out on third, but he gave up the two run bomb to Otani and he was responsible for the runners on first and second. Okay. Solomon was only responsible for the home run he gave up, I think. Well, the the one that got got gone down at third on the four on the force play was at second when Otani came in, so I thought that got rid of one of the runs. I just so I, I'm sure there's yeah. I'm, I'm just not yeah. seeing it right, but <laughs> but I, I was a little surprised to see four runs up there. Um, not not his best outing. He had that second inning, but he did get out of it actually. So. Um, yeah, just kind of lost his uh, command there in the last inning, and um, Sal Mora came in. I'm not going to roast Sal Mora. That is who he is. Sometimes he gets out of it. Sometimes he gives up a dinger. It was a little painful, though, with two outs and then two strikes on um, who was the hitter that uh, – is it – yeah, Velasquez. What's his yeah. first name? Andrew, Andrew Velasquez. Velasquez. Yeah, and he's been just terrible this year. He's only hitting 179 on the season. That was his third home run. So if Sal Moore gets out of it, uh, the Red Sox could have potentially tied it with that uh, with that last run that scored. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I can live with the Angel streak ending at 14 games if it was in the final game of the series. If we would have waltzed in there and they 
they get their first win right away. I would have been so annoyed. And then maybe Madden keeps his job for another week. Who knows? Yeah, Tony Larusa uh, still has his job as of uh, this very hour, but terrible play today. Uh, if if anyone in the audience missed it, uh, Trey Turner was at the plate with a one-two count, one ball, two strikes, and very randomly, Larusa goes, "You know what? Let's intentionally walk him." even though we're literally one strike from getting out of the inning. And then Max Muncy comes up and launches one. And that ended up being the difference. And, and uh, La Russa defended it in the, in the post-game press conference. Didn't really make any sense what his statement was. Um, but I don't know. He could be the next guy. How historic would it be if, if Joe Madden, if La Russa gets fired, they bring in Madden, and then they go win the World Series or, or just have this insanely deep playoff run after sputtering like this. That would be one of the cooler s- stories ever. It it wouldn't shock me. The one thing I was wondering is, is there some sort of like MLB regulation that if you're if you're a manager and you're fired midway through your contract, you can't sign with a different team that same year? Because I, I know in the NFL, there's a regulation against that. I don't know if MLB has the same thing. Because that would feel odd if, like, Joe Madden probably still has term on his contracts and he just goes and signs with the White Sox. You make a good point because he, he also has a $1 million buyout for next year as well uh, that yeah. they'll have to pick up. So, And I don't think this has ever happened before either. So you could be on to something, but... I was just thinking, I mean, somebody's going to somebody's job who's relatively safe right now, they might lose it because Madden's available, you know, this winter. And for anyone, we did cover the the Madden firing in our deep dives episode. That was actually released a day earlier than normal due to the funky West Coast schedule. But but if I mean, if you look at it, Rick Renteria's job with the Cubs wasn't really in danger. But Madden ended up taking it. And then Brad Osmus's job, I think he had only had it for a year with the Angels. And then Madden, you know, ends up forcing him out. So keeps happening. The best the best thing Tony has going for him is that the uh who's a Jerry DePoto there? No. Who's the owner? Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, he loves him. They're yeah. like brothers. So yeah. Yeah, I know. He shouldn't. Honestly, the best thing for the Red Sox is that Larusa doesn't get fired because I guarantee the White Sox go on like an 800, you know, win percentage run for two months <laughs> after being freed of him. Yeah, and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf was born in 1936. So, uh, dinosaur is gonna dinosaur. 86 years old and uh, not really up with the times. That front office was so mad. A bunch of 20 somethings in the front office are getting held up by their 86 year old owner, you know, and that's why they didn't get AJ Hinch. But, um, yeah. Does Reinsdorf still own the bulls? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So he owns the bulls. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately he still does. (laughs) Yeah. Bulls and the white Sox. the bulls and the Cowboys had like that run, you know, the bulls obviously a little bit better because they got six championships in the nineties. Um, 
but they've both they're both on the same drought anyway. Um and and the Cowboys have a stupid owner. So um yeah. All right. Enough football talk on a baseball podcast. Uh so let's just go ahead and get into the um the Mariners series. We have to go with ESPN again. They were wrong on the matchups we gave last uh la- the last regular show. Um Otani and Detmers ended up pitching uh one day after uh each of those guys were scheduled, but we got to go with something. So, uh I'm pretty sure all the Red Sox uh tentative starters will um will be who they are. So, on Friday, this is uh, a 10-10 start. At least some of us won't have to get up early on Saturday. But that's Rich Hill versus Marco Gonzalez. Pretty even matchup, really, uh, as, as far as I can tell. Hill is coming off of a, a pretty decent start. All those West Coast parks really translate well for uh, the pitcher that Hill is. But... Uh, Andrew, how do you see that one going? That's a tough one. I don't like first games of a road trip, you know, new city, but Marco Gonzalez has pretty bad peripherals. When you look at, um, just like expected ERA, his K percentage. So I think the Red Sox should make some pretty solid contact on him. Um, doesn't have an overpowering fastball. So being a lefty, maybe this is a get right Bobby Dahlbeck series, you know, going back up to the Seattle area. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he runs into one. Um, I don't want to pick them to win the Red Sox to win, but I kind of, kind of think they will. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Red Sox will win this one. I'm not a big Marco Gonzalez guy. Um, has given up 11 home runs so far this year, so he's prone to the long ball. Not a strikeout guy. He walks guys, and he gives up home runs. So if your offense is ticking, which hopefully it is, obviously you might be missing some guys, but the offense should be able to get to him. Rich Hill, I think, has looked pretty good his last couple outings. So like I always say about Rich Hill, he'll keep you in it. And I think they can they can tee up on on Marco Gonzalez. So the Red Sox should win this one. If they lose, it's it's a bad sign. Gonzalez has gone seven innings or more in his last two outings. So seven and a third, and then seven innings uh, against Texas in his last outing. I mean, I don't have as uh, I'm not great at reading all that baseball savant charts and stuff, but I mean, he's he hasn't been getting killed, so I, I really want to pick the Mariners here, but I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna go with the Red Sox. I'm just a little concerned, uh, you know, with what lineups we might be trotting out, but officially, uh, I'll just go. I'll just go Red Sox game one. Game two, uh, Michael Waka versus uh, George Kirby. How do you guys have this one? I'm going to give that to Kirby. And I do think – I don't like pitchers after a complete game either. I, I could see Waka laboring a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to Kirby in this matchup. I I can't go against my guy, Michael Walker, now. I, I'm too confident. I And I get what Andrew's saying, a pitcher after a complete game. Like, you never know how much they really have in the tank, but he's just been too good. If if this was a matchup against, you know, uh, Garrett Whitlock or maybe even Nick Pavetta, I might take the Mariners because I think Kirby is nasty. But I just have too much faith in Michael Walker right now. And I don't. I don't have faith in that Seattle lineup. I think I think that Seattle lineup is really overrated. So I'll take the Red Sox in this one. Might be close because again, I do think Kirby's really good, but I think Waka will be better. So I'll take the Red Sox. This to me is the most comfortable matchup of the weekend uh, for the Red Sox. So that that's who I'm picking here, uh, Kirby pitched against the Red Sox in the last series, uh, went five innings, gave up five earned runs, only struck out three. We're not quite on the uh, offensive spark that we were at that point, but um, I I think they can get to him again. So uh, put me down uh, for the Red Sox in game two. Uh, finally, um, on Sunday, which is the last game of the West Coast swing, that'll be a 4:10 p.m. start. Garrett Whitlock versus Robbie Ray. How do you have that one, Andrew? Robbie Ray has historically done pretty well against the Red Sox, but Robbie Ray is about two miles down on his fastball this year. His stuff is not played to what it was the prior year. He's walking more guys. I think we're starting to see um, maybe he's not the guy that Seattle signed up for. And I think the Red Sox can hit him. His peripherals, again, are terrible. They're smoking him. Um, The average exit velocity, he's in the seventh percentile, which is pretty atrocious. Uh, Guys are barreling his balls up. Uh, Hard hit percentage is really up. Um, Yeah, there is something going on with Robbie Ray. And if he continues like this, this is going to be one of the worst signings of the offseason. Yeah, in a rare occurrence, I think this is the first time I've done this all season, but I'm going with the Red Sox sweep. I think think the Red Sox win on Sunday. Um, I think they beat Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray does not look like the same guy, as Andrew mentioned. Um, I I actually think we talked about managers who who might be the next to be fired. I think Scott Service will be the next manager to be fired if there is one in the middle of the season. Um, Seattle has vastly underperformed. I'm not huge on on Whitlock, as I mentioned before, but I think he'll pitch well enough and that, you know, he'll he'll out-duel Robbie Ray, who, like we said, is just does not look like the same guy. I think the Red Sox will will tag him up and um, they'll score enough runs to to keep themselves in it. So I think the Red Sox will beat him on Sunday. In Robbie Ray's last five outings, he's given up three runs twice, four runs twice, and then uh, was tagged for five runs in one of them. Unfortunately... I just, I'm not comfortable at all with Whitlock right now. And Whitlock isn't comfortable at all right now. Um, I'm just wondering if maybe they ought to switch him out with Hauk, 
put him back in the pen. I think it's inevitable at this point with all the arms. I get oh. Bloom's logic. You don't want to bounce him back and forth, but I just think at this point for the rest of the year, let's just put him put him in the pen. Um he's got a nine uh ERA in the last, you know, it says last seven days. So that's his last two outings, but uh well, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with Cora did come out and uh, well, I don't know if you saw his comments the other day. Um, He defined Hauk's role for the rest of uh, pretty much the season. He said um, he's going to be used in one and two inning situations, similar to how they used Whitlock last year. He's going to be a big part of what we're trying to accomplish. So I I I did see that actually. Yeah. It sounds like he's going to, Hauk is going to be the eighth or ninth inning guy, but and yeah, so maybe Hauk isn't going to be the guy to step up if if Whitlock does in fact go. But if he gets tagged again for four or five runs, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have some tough decisions to make. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ride him into the ground, especially uh, you know if the hip thing um, continues to linger. So uh, officially, though, I'm going to I'm going to take the um, Mariners in that game. So I've got them two to one. I wouldn't be surprised if we lose it two to one as well. But I'm rooting for Jason this series. <laughs> so any uh, final thoughts before we wrap? No, just I think you're going you're going you're finishing the West Coast against a team that has vastly underperformed. Um the Angels is a little bit of a different story. They were just on a massive losing streak, but the Mariners have just, I mean, they've completely fallen short of what everyone thought they would be. So take advantage of it. Even though you got some guys out, take advantage of that and get back home, you know, with, with a good winning series. I think Rob Ref Snyder uh, is going to be probably get about at least eight at bats this series. I think he's going to start the first two games against the lefties. Um, so, Hopefully he uses this as a little showcase for himself. Well, maybe he'll unexpectedly. Well, we don't do studs and duds on the weekends, but perhaps uh, he'll be the equivalent of that. We will wrap and be back on uh, to record on Sunday night to discuss what did happen in this Mariner series. So hopefully the Red Sox, Keep finding ways to win. They are six and one on the West Coast. I mean, that's great. I mean, even if they do drop two, I mean, a six and three West Coast swing is is a pretty good one considering our history. So uh, we'll we'll see how they uh, wrap it up out there. And uh, again, we'll be back on Sunday night. Hope everyone has a good weekend. Take care. <laughs>